boomers, time for another installment of your favourite fortnightly online guide to the Sega-sational world of the 1990s and the UK's official Sega comic, it's Sonic the Comic, the podcast. We, as always, are your humans who think we're in charge. My name is Chris McFeely. And mine is Dave Boomer. And we're here with issue number 104. It says here it was released on the 27th of May. What do you think, Chris? No. No, it's wrong. Right. Okay. I suppose uh, you'll probably be wanting to know that it was actually released <laughs> on May 14th. And what we've got on this one is a new kind of cover. It's bad times, Dave. <laughs> Happiest days of my life, Chris. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Don't lie to me. Don't don't you lie to this face. <laughs> I know when you clapped eyes on this, you were revolted. Well, now, yeah, I wonder if maybe I was impressed back then, but I yeah, don't know. That's a good know. question. I couldn't tell you myself. Because this was something that impressed children of the 90s and grown-ups of the 90s and uh, doesn't really now. What we have is an attempt by a newcomer whose name is... Dermot Power. Dermot Power. And this is an attempt to appear to have rendered a 3D cover. And I, I I can't tell you to what extent that is what has or has not been done. I suspect it's just a painting. What do you think? Of co- I, I would go so far as to say it's been done on a computer. Possibly. It's difficult to tell. But it's a two-dimensional drawing that's gone mad for the airbrush. Mm. Uncomfortably over-rendered. Well, yes. In most places, then disturbingly under-rendered yes. in others. That's the weird thing. So what it's supposed to do is it's meant to evoke the cover of Sonic 3D. And imagine the, the that strange, strange face of Sonic's on the cover of Sonic 3D. I mean the real cover of Sonic 3D, not whatever you have in America. And um, You don't have to imagine it, for it is now in the top left-hand corner there it of the is. cover. Oh, that, the that is a new design change that we have got in this issue going forward. Now, instead of Winky Sonic clip art, which has carried Sonic us through 3D. 103 issues, we got Winky Sonic 3D head stuck there in the corner, staring out at us with his ears growing out of the middle of his forehead. Yeah. Which is translated to Dermot Power's illustration. He is very much based on that. What Dermot has done is he has made it look like he's taken that 3D model and turned it at an angle. And the whole camera is whooshed around and we can see that Sonic is like shooting forwards through the sky. There's all shooting stars around him to show the path that he's going on. And he's got three Flickies around him, ostensibly based on the designs from Flickies Island and done kind of in 3D. And the most 3D looking bit is Sonic's face and outstretched fist. I mean, the fist is massively uncomfortable. Yes, it's that, very that, human. That's, um, that's, and I hesitate mm-hmm. to make this comparison, uh-huh. for it is a bold thing to okay. say, and a dangerous name to invoke. Oh, yeah. But it's a bit pendersy. Oh. <laughs> oh. Ooh. Oh, never heard of him. Deny it if you can. I've never heard of any such person. I don't know who you mean. <laughs> I think the big 3D part is uh, how much you can see he's referenced the cover of Sonic 3D by the fact that Sonic's pupil is casting a shadow. Yeah, Sonic's pupil is casting a shadow. It's obviously like an oval that's been stuck on the front of his eye. And the overwhelming pipiness of his brows. Mm. And the ears growing out of the forehead. But... At least the spikes are going in the right direction. Well, yeah, that's the thing. He's tried to correct for that. And then... I, I, and then he stopped. Um, the, mm. fur, the further back you look uh, along Sonic's body... Ooh, look where his arm's coming out of. It's like coming out of the back of his cheek. Yeah. It's very strange configuration. Um, but the further back you get along Sonic's body, it becomes the flat 
you know, blobs of the first layer that you put down before you do a painting. So I don't know whether he perhaps was told that we wanted a bit sooner than he was expecting or something like that. Done it on a computer, I'm telling you. You reckon? Oh, yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. It's so difficult to tell. I bet you're right. But the only reason I hesitate is that I feel like this would be harder to do on a computer and not in 3D than it would to just paint it. Like in those days, not now, obviously. I don't know. It's 1997. Technology's come a long way since we started doing this podcast. Do you know what? You're absolutely right. There, I've realised I had a copy of Coral Photo Paint at this stage, which was like you know a Photoshop level piece of kit. So yes, they you could have just done it all on a computer. Good enough tablet and a bit of experience, and yes. Yes, you could do something like this. So you're probably right. Anyway, it does look bad, but that's not really the point because it serves to illustrate the fact that the content of the issue is a new Sonic story. Yes. High flying. It contains high flying action, but they don't actually tell us its name, which feels like a misstep to me. I really Big feel misstep. like they should have emblazoned the title Big of misstep, the story all over the cover. The whole point of this issue, the thing that was exciting about it, certainly to me, was that this is when Sonic 3D starts to get adapted. Flicky's Island, page one. Yes, they should have said that. But what they said instead was that the issue also contains Captain Plunder. Correct. And a <laughs> Barrowbot pinup. Incorrect, but consistent. Yes, the goof from last issue's next issue page, which misspelled yeah. Burrowbot, has been consistently applied across the board. Yes. Barrowbot. Hmm. Hmm. It's a bit Ovi Kinto bar, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Like, spend two seconds thinking about it. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yes, why did they think... They're called Burrowbots for a reason. They burrow, and it's a bot. Yeah. Why, what on earth made you don't them have think it's You don't even have to have played Sonic 1 to know that. You just look at the design. You look it's at got it. An, it's got a drill for a nose. Yeah, and you look at its name, Burrowbot. <laughs> and across the top, it advertises also, New Tails Loses His Cool. I mean, that's not new. It's it's part two. Oh, yeah. And decap catch football fever. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right, so... Uh, uh, nothing on the back, so shall we head inside? Mm. Back to the biggest the font goes. It's different! It's a little bit different! Little bit. Whole change of design for this entire page, really. Yes. Presumably, therefore, by designer Tim Reed. Yes. A new designer for this issue, mm. replacing regular designer who's been on it for absolutely ages now, Gary Knight, who in turn took over the job from Claire Gilmore a long time ago now. Yeah. Tim Reed, in fact, was like the interstitial designer between Gilmore and Knight. Knew I recognised the name? Yeah, yes. yeah, I thought it sounded familiar, yeah. He designed the issue like in between Gilmore leaving and Knight yes. joining. So I don't know if this is portending another change yes. and he's slipping in for that job again or, or, or what's going on, but... Uh, Stay tuned, boomers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all that's actually changed is the charts. Yeah. Because as we saw last issue, they've dropped the Mega CD and the Game Gear sections from the charts. But instead of just putting a little box in the empty space, they've now redesigned the charts to space them out a bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and the rest of it is pretty much the same. Uh, aside from the change to the cover design that adds the corner box with the Sonic 3D head, of course. Quite, of course. Yes, they're just really big now, the charts. Mm. So, in the actual control zone, uh, he mostly just tells us what is in this issue. Um, Dave, there's just nothing here, is there? No. He does say the game world's favourite character needs to watch his spikes in the new three-part story, Flicky's Island. So only a three-parter then for Flicky's Island, but I was able to be hopeful even then that the big STC stories are often multiple three-parters strung together, and I think it's safe to say that once this one kicks off, the stuff it sets in place does go on longer than three issues. Yes, we'll talk about it a little more as we progress through the story. Perhaps not even all in this issue, but there are there are pluses and minuses to this. Yes, so no, the only thing that 
he says really of any particular interest is the last bit here. Stay tuned next issue when there'll be a treat for Amy fans. She teams up with Techno. Can you imagine such a thing as she gets a day off? It's not necessarily the first time she's done it. No. But uh, because, well, there was that story where Techno fixed up the spinner for her to ride. But they haven't had a proper team up actually out on adventure mm. together because, you know, Techno fixed that spinner and then Amy went off and had an adventure yeah. with it. So is this the first true Amy? T- is it is it an Amy strip yes. or is it an Amy and Techno strip? Yes. Either way, it's These are the questions. codified here as Amy teaming up with Techno. And as we all know, as, as I really think anyone who knows about Knuckles STC knows, pink. Knuckles was pink and Amy and Techno <laughs> were a pair. Um, yes. So yeah, that'll be really interesting to see how that starts off. And I'm and so surprised, even now, even after all we've been through, to find out that it hasn't happened yet. All like, oh no, post it doesn't 100. seem like it should have happened yet to me. That feel that to my mind, that's a post one hundred thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Amy's getting a day off. Megadroid says, uh, "Nice to know some folks get a holiday hey, around here." Well, you yay. got a holiday from writing an involved control zone. This issue, <laughs> Megadroid. <laughs> And then the thing under that this time is literally just telling you you should subscribe. They've got no content for the no. control zone lately. The last two issues has been how to get your letter printed, mm. then how to get your picture printed. Mm. And this one is like, please subscribe. It's so weird that they couldn't even dredge up a little bit of, you know, you could have a little news zone down there. Just a little put, one. Put a little photograph <laughs> that someone sent in. You yeah. know, don't, don't, don't give over the graphic zone all to photos. Just post a picture of a cake. <laughs> that's all we re- that is all we that's ask all we really want that's all i ask out of life sonic the comic and a little bit of cake i feel like i've said that on the show before and if you can combine those two things into one oh. well that opens up a whole extra slot for me to have something now in life. you are talking somebody make us a cake that resembles an issue of stc open and with the art done and everything oh god that'd be great i would no i would just settle for you a, couldn't eat it. just a perfectly ordinary sheet cake uh-huh. With the cover of number one printed on edible paper just Ooh. slapped on the top. Yeah. Just an STC cake. Simple as yeah. that. And I don't need it to even be on the top. If you want to give me a cake, an unadorned cake, you know that I'll go for that. But then give me a rice paper recreation of an issue of Sonic the Comic that I can eat in front of people and make them think I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Subs Hero is the header. Um, is that... Oh, Sub-Zero. Oh, oh. I, said it out, I said it out loud and I, I caught what it's of saying. Of course. Sub-Zero. Sub-Zero. Of course. Just a sound-alike joke. Yes. Uh, yeah, if you're one of those boomers who's having trouble getting hold of the UK's only official Sega comic on a regular basis, or if you're about to move to a remote part of the planet, why don't you subscribe? Get over to the back cover. Back cover, uh, this issue is just the subs thing again, same as last issue. Um, th- this is illustrated with a picture of last issue's cover, with a big sold-out banner yes. across it. And I don't know whether we should interpret that as literal or not. No, I don't know. Have they, in fact, are they telling us issue 103 sold out? I don't see why it would. There's nothing particularly no, special uh, about it. it. Yeah, bit random. But, I mean, it, I guess it could have. Who knows? I think that's just an illustration of the idea of why you need to subscribe. Well, if they posted an image of number one, probably half the audience reading it wouldn't even recognise it anymore. The You couldn't... You couldn't sit there and claim it was possible to summon up enthusiasm for the new <laughs> entries in the Saturn chart. <laughs> no. A bike racing game. Yeah, Manx TT. A football game. FIFA 97. A car racing game. The Need for Speed. And a golf game. World Cup Golf Professional. <sighs> Did they not think 
the 30 years from when they printed this, they didn't, did two they? people who didn't care for no. sport would be doing a podcast would be nitpicking. about it and that they couldn't didn't provide us with content. No, it's rude and it's insensitive and it's problematic. But it's still nice to know that the Game Gear chart is pure and innocent with a new game in it, number 10. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Flicky's Island, Part 1 Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson And letters by Tom Frame With Dr. Robotnik gone The Emerald Hill folk are, at last Able to leave the floating island And return home Soon, a Flicky arrives in the zone And Tails translates its chirps As a warning that danger is brewing On its island home Sonic isn't convinced But as he's finding this new age of peace rather boring, he decides to investigate, unaware that the danger is very real, as Robotnik and Grimer are hiding out on the island and experimenting on its flicky inhabitants. Surprising amount to dig into here, I think. It's almost like uh, Flicky's Island Part Zero. Yes, yes, it really is. That's the thing I sort of realised as I was reading it. Mm -hmm. There isn't actually a lot to the Flicky's Island game. Is the thing. Yes. It's not like Sonic 3 and Knuckles where there's a storyline. There's an actual story. That's the thing. Yeah. It's just a classic Sonic adventure where he runs around picking up rings and beating Robotnik at the end of each stage with the added game mechanic of rounding up birds. Yeah. It's not like Sonic CD where there's the whole time travel mechanic and the evil robot doppelganger. It's not like Chaotix where there's this whole band of new characters. There isn't much to Flicky's Island to make a story out of. Mm. So it begins in a nice way by folding the events into the new status quo. Mm. And what a lovely start. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love this. Let's do page one and then do page two, because I want to talk about page well, two. Well, that's how most people do things. Yeah, but I want to talk about page two. But page one is, how to describe this, it's quiet, it's anticipatory, and it's got this sea foam sprayed all over the artwork. It's just got this quality to it. They're standing at the edge of a cliff overlooking the ocean, and it feels like that. And that's what you do when you're waiting for a boat to come in, when you're waiting for a story to start. Something's on the horizon coming towards you. That's the sort of page this feels like. Well, it's misleading. It's mm. trying to make you think there's something evil coming. Yeah. There's a threat approaching. It's Sonic, Amy, Johnny, and Tails. It's going, is everybody ready? As will ever be. I think I see something. Out in the mist. It's heading straight towards us. Here they come. Yeah. <laughs> Turn page. And you see the distant, misty silhouettes of something approaching from end to end of the bit of ocean they're looking out at. Oh, what are they going to be? And you turn the page. And I, I actually gasped. When I read this yesterday, what a wonderful twist on the on the full page Elson splash. Because usually, <laughs> when you give Richard Elson a full page splash, it's to blow up a big fight or an action scene to make it more dramatic. Here, it is used to make more impactful the beautiful. I am prepared to say, sight, the relieving sight of life coming to the Emerald Hill Zone after the regime fell. It's so much more momentous. Truly, mm. than any actual evil baddie yeah. would have been. Knuckles Metallics could have come out of that wall of mist, yeah. and it wouldn't have had as much impact as seeing, finally, yeah. the displaced people of the Emerald Hill Zone returning home after two years. Yeah. Two years since they left God. the Emerald Hill Zone. Oh, and it's so lovely. And it's it, we've had a lot of this, actually, mostly out of Nigel Dobbin last issue, but it's a fully blue page. Mm, yes. 
Fully, fully blue. What was going on with this art shop? It must be the same one. They must have both... There must have been a massive crate of blue paint that they got <laughs> delivered directly to them. Maybe it was some kind of promotion. <laughs> Selfishly, I do wish this was in full colour, to be honest. It works as an artistic choice. Mm. Coming out of the mist. Through the mist. Shrouded in it, and so made monochrome by that cloak. Mm. But selfishly... I mean, I, I almost wonder, was it just quicker to do it this way? It's a big page with a lot. In fact, you look at a lot of other big Richard Elson pages, and they are so often, as you just said, big action beats or big mm-hmm. single character splashes. Yep. There is, there's probably more detail here in this single page than in any other Richard Elson mm. splash page. And I would even count the double page spread of the floating island yeah. blasting the death egg and Sonic yeah. and the egg robos falling. Definitely. Uh, so one can't, you know, judge for him maybe wanting to spare himself the job of colour and everything. Oh, yes, I see what you mean, yeah. Because what it is, is it is a... It's not even a particularly zoomed out shot. It's actually quite... It's fairly close in mm. of loads of dinghies that are being rowed by people, by Emerald, by, you know, the animal guys that we get in this comic. And each one of these boats, there's barrels strapped to them, rolled up bed thingies, there's one at the front that's got like an oven range attached to the back of the thing. They are These are people bringing all their belongings, big stuffed backpacks. Bringing their lives back home. Yeah, floating, wrapped up, you know, waterproofed cases floating along in the sea along with them chained together. Just loads of stuff. There's a bird one, actually. I think it's a chicken one, but whatever. Flying along above them. It's just covered in detail. Plus, of course, all the nautical details. Coiled rope and all the oars and all of the... the, There's one guy here lounging in a big rubber ring, you know, sort of... (laughs) Yeah, being being pulled pulled along along behind behind one, yeah. Yeah. Whole page of that. And it's so detailed. There's so many little things to see. And what that does is it slows the image down. There's no speed lines anywhere on this page. Yeah, you want to pour over this one. Mm. And it's a contemplative... It's just good. It's a lovely moment of storytelling. It truly is. And how fitting that that should come at the start of the next game adaptation. Yeah. Purely because... The game adaptations are the heart of this comic. They represent the biggest things. Yeah. I mean, issue 100 was not a game adaptation, but I I stand by the statement. Well, yeah, because issue 100 was the tentpole moment there was we reached issue 100. Yes. Everything else kind of either comes out of a game or is the result of what adapting a game put into the comic. Into the world, yes. And yeah, so, and that's, that's where we are. Even though this isn't a very momentous game... We're making it the next chapter. It makes it feel momentous. It almost it gives the game a let's say maybe a slightly misplaced feeling of importance. Yeah, I suppose so. Because this this will be an important story. Yeah. But not because of anything it takes out of the games and puts into the world. Yes, well, what it does, actually, is it serves what Nigel would have been trying to do at the time. You know, now that we've talked to him for issue 100, and we talked about how episode 100 kind of felt like a dividing line. Mm. He wasn't comfortable with the idea that it was like... A before and after. Before and after, and people sort of prefer the before. What he's doing here is he's setting up, right then, right then, everyone, we're about to have the new chapter. what, What comes next? No, Dr. Robotnik isn't defeated... It's just the regime has fallen. Now we're going to see what he does next. Here is a big moment to introduce to you the idea that we're about to have another big story. We're still going to have those. Here is the next one. Even so, though, I don't know how 30 years on you could look back at it and not divide it as before and after. Well... But part of that before and after is that they ran out of games. Well, yes, that's true. Um, But what this definitely does is, even though we're on episode 104 now, not 101, this is... 
okay, here's what we're doing in the post-100s. Here's the start of the new era. This is what it's going to be. And so, everyone, welcome. Welcome to the post-100 STC. Which begins with this little piggy Emerald Tillfolk guy making a joke. No Robotnik to battle against. What are you going to do with yourself, Sonic? And Sonic has a little grumpy head on him. But you don't initially necessarily read that as anything more than a little quip. Because Sonic often has a wee grumpy head on him. Yeah, he doesn't get to answer the question, actually, because he's sort of interrupted, but... By the floating island taking off and going back into the sky. But something about that expression and the fact that the camera is so near to him, it did make me look at that expression and go, Oh, what does that mean? Oh, he's mm-hmm. having some thoughts there. What, what does this mean? A really good little bit. And, of course, it's paid off immediately on the next page as Knuckles beeps in on <laughs> the Kinterbor computer's handset. Look, at, look, at, look, and look at the little Knuckles, by the way. <laughs> I know. Look at him with his bits because he's, he's got so his, happy. He's got his eyes really wide. Yeah, but why has he got his eyes wide? He's got his eyes wide because he's happy. Yeah, he gets Sonic gets to be the hero who finally defeated Robotnik, and I get my floating island back to myself. Oh, isn't it lovely the implication here that like all along Knuckles has had big wide Sonic monobrow eyes, but we yes. just we normally see him with little scowly eyes because everything's so annoying around him. He's no one will leave him alone. STC's Knuckles goes through life with people just annoying him. I relate to that. <laughs> and he, well, of course, as we, yes, Knuckles isn't supposed to have a big monogoggle eye. Yeah. He is supposed to have individual ones and yeah. the Browdos come down to meet in the middle, but I don't know, I just he's just extremely cute. It's lovely. Lovely. Logically, that is what would happen if you opened two separate eyes enough is you'd get Sonic eyes. And none of us have been happy enough to try it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, now listen, listeners, you're not in the 90s anymore. You just have to trust us that this is what our eyes all looked like in the 90s when we were reading STC originally, because we were so happy. (laughs) Never since. But then, yeah, you know, age and time and society just made us all so angry that evolution just fused our brow (laughs) and the peak of our noses together from all the scowling. Yeah, now we're all movie Sonics. (laughs) Uh, Porker pops on to say he's going to stay on the island for a mm. while and help Knuckles on the old computer systems. And then uh, Knuckles makes a joke, I guess you can retire now, Sonic. And Sonic slams the case closing. Smart Alec. Brilliant. And the fact that Knuckles makes that little that little joke, oh, you can retire now. Oh, People are getting at Sonic. People are going like, oh, no need for a hero anymore, is there? And he's just like, oh, smart Alec. And he slams it shut. And then... In the very next panel, we get his thought balloon. And this is a perfect Mm -hmm, illustration mm -hmm. of what we've always been trying to get across about STC Sonic. Because it's what Nigel was always trying to get across about Sonic. That there is a difference between his cocky exterior, the surface level that people on the internet have seen for the last few years, and his internal reality that that is supposed to be an illustration of if you're good enough at reading. Because Sonic is thinking in his head... Ah, oh, still, the echidna's right. What do I do now? I don't exactly see myself going into accountancy. He is getting restless. He's not. He doesn't regret toppling the regime, but the question is no, there. No, but like, what, what does he do What's next, he for you know? now? I was joking about it a bit a couple of issues ago with the elections when we were talking about Sonic just wanting to run places and everything. But obviously, no, that's Japanese Sonic. That's mm. not STC Sonic. Japanese Sonic doesn't have to have a thing to do. Mm. He just wants to run and run and run and run and run. And whatever adventure he finds in his path, that's the thing that'll keep him occupied until the next game. Yeah. Whereas STC Sonic... He had a cause. He's a hero. He had a cause. Yeah. But uh, again, wonderfully illustrating the two sides of the character, Tails comes up and goes, everything all right? And he goes, what could be wrong, little buddy? This is the day we've all been fighting for. And it's like, 
Yes! The internal and the external. He is unhappy and he can't admit it because he should be happy. That is real. That is storytelling. He's a bit of a fat little Sonic, isn't he? <laughs> a little porky pots, isn't he? <laughs> Did you know a few weeks of inactivity after toppling the fascist, he's been getting into the pork pies. Oh, is that what it is? No, but it is. Uh, <laughs> it, joking aside, it's representative of a subtle and gradual artistic shift that uh-huh. has been happening with Richard Elson's art over the last hundred issues. Mm-hmm. And it just reached a point, this issue, where I felt like it was noticeable in a way it hadn't been. Obviously, like, yes, the way Richard Elson draws Sonic has changed in issue 100 mm-hmm. from the way he drew him when he started in issue 7. Yeah. And that change has definitely been about the character getting a bit rounder, a bit squatter. Well, part of that came about when they changed the sprite in Sonic 3, and we noticed him round him off then as well. I don't know that that was necessarily a reaction to them changing the sprite in Sonic 3, but I do seem to remember, yes, we were. it was when Sonic 3 started that that was when we were kind of clocking hmm. the difference. But he's definitely getting stumpier. <laughs> and this is the first time where I feel like I've noticed, because there was a couple of issues recently where I was like, oh, look at him being a perfect little Sonic guy all round in that. <laughs> yes. But his tum-tum does almost come out further than his face at this point. It's like the circles used for the body and the head are almost the same size now. And and it's not the end of it. Sonic is like steadily going to get squatter and stumpier. Can end up with a tiny little head. In this, the second century of Sonic. <laughs> Part of that before and after. <laughs> um, but he's still... going to f*** up his spikes in a minute. <laughs> yeah, but he's still spry enough, isn't he? Because look at him Look at him hopping along in the uh, Emerald Hill Zone a couple hop days there, later. Kicking a rock complaining about how bored he is yeah so this is time has passed it's a couple of days later nothing's going on it is dull everyone's living an idyllic existence in this lovely it's just one panel really but we get to see these tree houses that they have in the emerald hill zone that that actually look a lot like the ones that we saw back when do you remember it was on the floating island when they moved into the mushroom hill zone it was raining and someone was taking the washing in that, that panel oh yes well they were living in giant mushrooms giant then, mushrooms they? but i i noticed uh, these ones but uh, th- these do have the look of... Uh, do you remember that big illustration of the Emerald Hill Zone from way back in issue 9 mm. that Elson drew? There's the air of those too. They've oh, got little yeah. portholes in them. And, but sweeter, and I think. Tubes and things. Yeah, a little sweeter, a little sweeter. Well, yeah, they're not, they're not covered in fascist banners. Uh, oh, that's as, it. That's what as I'm thinking they were of back in issue 9. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of. Um, no, it's just the lovely um, pastel blue and pink door with its little window in it and its little, little flower above, or bow or whatever it is above <laughs> the doorway. I like how he's drawing their trees, and they've got tree branches, but they've sort of been industrialised. They're kind of chimneys. They've got these big rings around them, segmenting them off. And, uh, yeah, then this this flicky arrives, and they do this odd gag about how tails can understand the bird's tweets. This is the first, I think, collision of the Japanese intent of the games, Mm -hmm. which is to say that the animals' friends are just animals, which was what Flicky's Island carried on through, simply presenting the birds, the Flickies in that game, as being little animals. Mm -hmm. And this adaptation, rightly, because then you would lose the whole identity of the game, chooses to present the Flickies as just being birds. But then it requires this odd bit about how they, they are just birds and Tails has to speak tweet. Yeah, that's that panel read strangely today, didn't it? Mm. <laughs> yes. Don't tell me the bird told you, did he? Because you know how to speak tweet, don't you? Yeah, and Tails is terminally online. And so, yes, <laughs> yes, he does. Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. Get wrecked, loser. Lol, <laughs> epic bacon. <laughs> Yeah, no, there is something very... If you're a long-time reader, there is this moment where you're like... Sonic's like, oh, it's a bird. Oh, it, that's a bird. And Tails like, well, it's a flicky. And we're like, well... And you're a flipping hedgehog, mate. Yeah, and like... 
The last time we would have heard, I don't think we, I don't remember we ever heard the word Flicky in STC before, but I can't remember. We know it's a person. Flicky is a friend that Flicky they have. Flicky the Bluebird, and that character yeah. has been in early, early STCs. Yeah, or maybe. But it's what it's it's just one of these moments that you used to bump up against, mm. where like you realize, oh, the the people who write this don't know as much as I do about this. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> and so we have this character because the one pictured is the blue Flicky. They're going, it's a Flicky, and and you're going, well, that's Flicky. I know he he does look different. He's drawn a bit differently. But it's a, the... it's a flicky. But it's, yeah. There's no reason. I mean, I say that the right choice, but as I sit here and think about it, what I mean by that is the choice to maintain their appearance as full cartoon birds and not anthropomorphize them. Yeah. And um, that that is the right choice. But by that same token, it was the wrong choice for SDC, the comic, to progressively anthropomorphize all the other animals and hill folk and yeah. native Mobians in the way that they didn't do with Sonic, Tails, and the core game characters. I still want 100 issues now. I just want everybody to look like little guys. <laughs> look like those little illustrations yeah. in the instruction manual, like they did in the earliest issues of the comic, instead of running around wearing jeans and jackets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, in that sense, they could have done a version of Flicky's Island where this bird could talk normally, because mm. it's just a bird, in the same way that there are loads in of birds the same who live yeah. in the Emerald Hill folk. Yeah. yeah, so I wonder if they're going to go any deeper into that and address the fact that, like, no, this is the island. Whoa, this strange island where the animals can't talk. <laughs> yeah. What a cute tails also, by the way. I, I knew. Look at him. Look at his little face. <laughs> Look at him with his little smiley that face. Might be the best tails Elson has ever done. Yeah, I think it is. And his little chubby cheek. Mm. With little smile and his little chubby cheek. And his giant head to small eyes ratio. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. And it actually, yes, what did Tails look like last time we saw him from Elson? Because this almost feels like a change of design. I wouldn't go so far as to call it a change of design. It's just representative of the uh, artistic slide mm. of Elson's depiction of the characters, mm. you know. And this just feels a little more, again, just a little more heavily drawn from the Adventures character model that was the style guide reference for European licensees at the time. Well, it's lovely. It is, isn't it? And then we cut to Robotnik's latest base, which we don't get to see much of. It's just sort of abstract mm. arches and zigzags and sort of background shapes, a bit like a 60s... You know that era in the 60s where they were, like, making cartoons for TV for the first time and the, the abstract shapes in the background where the colours deliberately didn't match the shape? Well, anyway, so there's just, like, hanging gizmos and gadgets and then these abstract background shapes. And um, what they've got is a flicky in some machinery, and it's modelled after... It's ostensibly modelled after the... Uh... The one flicky that's not on the cover of the issue. Mm, yeah. The green flicky. Because that's it, right? There's the red, blue, pink and green. Those are the four colours of flicky in the game, right? Yeah. And I think, yeah. think this is right. I think the green one is like a chubby one. Let me, let me find out. I'll call yeah, up yeah. some images. Just pull up the opening cinematic. Yes, there it is. Yep, 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 that's right. Because if there's one thing that we can generally assume mm -hmm. Kitching and Elson would have had access to from the game, it is the opening cinematic. Yes. <laughs> because you didn't have to play the you game. You just turn it on. see that. Yeah, you just turn just, it on. Oh, and in fact, you know, something I've noticed. The one thing Elson hasn't done that both the Flicky of previous Sonic and of Sonic 3D had is the, I would say, characteristic dark stripe that goes around the back of his head from his eyes. He hasn't got that. Does the blue Sonic 3D Flicky have that? Yeah. Oh, well, Look at the intro animation picture. 
I trust you. Yeah. I don't feel the need to. <laughs> <laughs> splendid, Rhymer, splendid. These revolting little creatures will make perfect organic batteries for my new design of Badnik. Soon I will return to Mobius. They'll pay for their insolence. How dare they depose me, the great Dr. Robotnik. Oh, now that's Return to Mobius. What a weird turn of phrase. Well, it is a weird turn of phrase. I'm holding on now to see if perhaps his base is through a ring rather than on the island. I don't know. Uh, well, I suppose that's, yeah, that, that's possible. possible. isn't it? I mean, the conceit of the games, isn't it, that the flickies come from another dimension through the rings. Is it? And live on the... Isn't, isn't that the conceit of the game? It could be. Makes sense. You deposit them in the ring, don't you? Uh, yeah, that's why, yeah. I mean, I might be wrong about that, but anyway. Anyway, so yeah, they're doing tests on the Flickies of, of Flickies Island, mm -hmm. obviously a known landmark of Mobius, yes. and have proved that they will make perfect... I guess the, the idea being, within the fiction of STC, Robotnik has only ever been using normal Mobians as organic batteries. So now he has to test if these birds will do the job. Yes, I read this as, as almost like modernization. You know what I mean? He Now he can draw enough power out of a smaller thing. Mm. The chip doesn't have to be as big. So he can just pop a little bird in there now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense as the, the new era of Badniks. And then he finds out Grimer has allowed the other Flicky that they've captured, which we imagine must be the blue one we've just encountered, yes. to escape. Not well, you say allowed. It, it, it escaped on Grimer's watch. Yes, right. He didn't let it go. Yes. yes. You incompetent fool! I ought to, and he grabs him around the neck and everything, mm. and there's a there's a terrifying physicality to that. There really is. It's not like Robotnik hasn't been shown to fly into fits of rage before and threaten subordinates and beat up things and smash things before, but there's something about how it's just these two blokes mm. at this point. There's no infrastructure. There's no army. Yes. It's not him, like, impotently venting his fury at challenges to his power or his regime. This is two guys, and he's about to beat that dude up for crossing him. Mm. Straight. It's scarier. And then he suddenly changes his mind, because um, mm. that's... That's how Robotnik be. He can just switch on a, on a on a single moment. And he... Look at this fantastic pose of him just like being like, Oh, forget it. And he like throws Grimer away and runs off into the background. And it's... He is Elson posing in four different directions. <laughs> it is crazy. I mean, it's... It's it's balletic. It's it's almost it's it's sort of the closest. <laughs> balletic. <laughs> it's kind of the closest to Milton Knight Robotnik that we've ever had. The way he's skipping away into the background on this sudden change of mood. It's brilliant. It's It's a bit... Asterixy. It's a bit. It's an extreme pose. It's fantastic. It is a very. Yeah. What harm can one escaped flicky cause? Oh, if only he knew. Uh... Before we end the strip on a, a, a huge, big, like two thirds page, big square panel of tails in the tornado, the biplane. I'm sorry, the bi in the biplane <laughs> with Sonic standing on the wings. Thanks for coming with me, Sonic. Yeah. Okay. Just. Don't broadcast the fact that I went to Flicky's Island because of something you were told by a little bird. I feel like that should have said because of something a little, little bird, bird told, told you. you. Yeah, yes. I mean, I'm. That's got to have been sub-edited, hasn't it? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that feels like the editor got in there and just felt like that needed to be moved around for grammar. And I'm like, you, you've lost the essence of the joke there. Yeah. Just to check whether or not Elson here had referenced the island in the intro, which I believed he had, oh. I've gone and looked, and I just accidentally paused it on the very frame he's used. <laughs> look, look, look at this. Look how one-to-one oh, yeah. one that the, is. The, the two mountains, the big thing in it. Yes, so there is not a shadow of a doubt yeah. 
that they had access to the opening cinematic of the game. Yes. That's all you need. Yeah. That's all I ask for. A little bit of cake, a little bit of game <laughs> accuracy. <laughs> Next issue, The Reunion. I mean, I've said it in a sinister way, so you know what it means. <laughs> but obviously, it refers to Sonic and Robotnik meeting again. But it's a strong start, I think. Yes, really strong. Emerald Hillfall get to come home. Robotnik's threat continues, taking. Let's be honest. Like the aside from the dimensional rings, the only idea <laughs> that Sonic 3D has the birds. There are birds now. And, yeah. and finding a place for them and, and finding a way to propel this story forward with them. So as a result, the key thing about this is the Emerald Hill folk coming back. That's the memorable image. It's mm. the big thing. Chapter Zero. Yeah. Cha- yeah, and it's a little bit like the Knuckles story from issue 101, uh, Loose Ends. That was a little coder on the end of the big story ending in issue 100. And, and kind of so is this. And the fact that that continuity is still going on is brilliant. And that image of the boats, like... It's sincerely quite moving. Yeah. I mean... Two years Mm. they've been away. The concept of a story arc spanning two years when you were a kid. That's just not an imaginable amount of time. Uh, Honestly, right now we're preventing this sort of scene is one of the main priorities of some of the worst people in the actual current regime here in the UK. (laughs) I found this genuinely quite moving to see Mm. as the result of what happens when you topple them. Uh, Lovely. Lovely, lovely, lovely. STC... Radicalizing children since the 90s. Captain Plunder and the Spice Maidens Power (laughs) 2. Written by Nigel Kitchen. By Nigel Dobbin. And letters by Eleanor Fell. Captain Plunder objects to Zorabelle's demand that he take her five daughters, the Spice Maidens, on a quest for treasure. Plunder thinks he's convinced Zorabelle to change her mind by telling her it wouldn't be right for five young lovely girls to be alone on a ship with a bunch of salty sea dogs. But this only leads to Zorabelle deciding to come along to keep an eye on them. Captain Plunder and the Spice Maidens oh, yes. this issue, whereas it was just oh. the Spice Maidens last issue. Oh, yeah. Um, it begins, high on a hill stands the grandest mansion in Pirate Town. And obviously we both did exactly the same thing. High on, on a hill stands the grandest mansion, mansion. <laughs> in Pirate Town. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult to not do that. But also, have you... The, the grandest mansion. It's it's two rooms and a loft conversion, isn't it? Yes, it's <laughs> well well, this is not a grand place. No. I could well believe that is the grandest mansion in Scourge Bay. Yeah. So yeah, this is uh, Plunder and Filch coming to visit Zorabel, and they do. They do the gag finally. <laughs> Knock on the door and her lurch yes. Tom her zombie oh, he looks like a zombie yes. so yeah uh, in in the classical voodoo in the voodoo of depiction, zombies, yes. an entranced manservant mm-hmm. uh, answers the door and goes yes <laughs> you know proper you right yeah. stuff oh it's you well i suppose you'd better come in and then quietly to himself he says this should be a laugh I like a laugh. <laughs> With the most hangdog expression you've ever seen. That's all I wanted. That's all I wanted out of this guy. He's just Lurch. <laughs> and that's enough for me. That justifies that character's existence. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, next page is taken up mostly with the introduction of the five Spice Maidens. Um, Cinnamon! Nutmeg! Coriander! Pepper! And finally, Tarragon! But you know what I love about them? Uh-huh. Is that they are not in any way Spice Girl parodies yeah. beyond the Spice Yeah, name. they don't really match one-to-one to the Spice Girls themselves. No, not in any way. They're not posh, sporty, scary. No. You can kind of go like, that one's gingery and that one's blonde. Yeah, but that's it. There are three dark-haired ones, mm. a ginger one and a blonde one, and that that's it mm. again. Yes, and they all say something. It's a, each. She's introducing her daughters, and it's five tall slice panels, and it's like, this one, this one, and they each have a single line of dialogue that's like, that's what this one's character is. Good stuff. And you can distinguish about four personalities <laughs> out of five. Where Cinnamon says Captain Plunder doesn't need to know their names, he can just call them the Spice Maidens. Nutmeg just giggles insanely, mm-hmm. so that feels like that's derived from the name, Nutmeg. Oh, yeah, okay. She's the ginger one, but that's not Ginger Spice, that's not Jerry. They've conceived a personality for her rooted in her own name. Coriander is... Uh, She's the quiet, serious adventurer one who wants to go out on a quest and... I'd be surprised if she used contractions in future <laughs> stories. That's the, the tone of her dialogue where she says, Adventure awaits. I am impatient to begin. And she's the one who, like, has nose and ear piercing. She's got a jewel in her forehead. She carries what I would almost guarantee is a scimitar yes. on her hip. There's a touch of the Orientalism about this one. Mm-hmm. Pepper is also there. Yep, there she is. Let's get this show on the road, she says. Not necessarily very distinguishable from Cinnamon, but I guess you could say she's eager and ready for action, where Cinnamon is brusque and standoffish, perhaps. Yes, I think so. And then Tarragon, who is concerned that she looks pale in the yellow dress she's wearing. So she's the girly one. The girly one. I like them. Yes, so far. I just like them because they're not Spice Girl parodies. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, there's a long ways to go in this story, and we'll see how what they do with them as characters. But as it stands now, they feel like they stand alone as a group of characters that aren't rooted in being it's like not a, just a, a pop, pop culture, culture parody, parody. A, a dated pop culture parody. Yeah. yeah, that carries you in. That makes you open the story and go like, oh, we're going, oh, we're doing this joke, and then no, actually, it just perfectly fits the world of Captain Plunder. You could have, I think, you could have had this exact exact issue if the Spice Girls hadn't existed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right the way down to the names. Like, there is something about it that is like, yeah, that, that sounds right for these for this pirate town. Of course they'd be dealing in spices and things like that in a pirate town. Yeah, yeah. Look, I don't want to be rude, your majesty, but what be you wanting from me? Shut your trap and I be a-telling you. <laughs> so she's got a, a map and she's going to give it him. And Plunder and the girls are going to go hunting for treasure. Yeah. You're joking. A pirate ship be no place for girls. Besides, everybody knows women on board ship be bad luck. Which is an old naval superstition, isn't it? I believe it is. This strikes a brilliant little balance between, like, the actual reason why it's here is because, you know, the boys reading this comic are like, Oh, no, not girls. Oh. And they, <laughs> they relate to this sentiment that way. But actually, I see this expressed in anything that I watch that's about pirates or old sailors or anything. Apparently, they really were like that. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, which prompts Pepper to kick Captain Plunder's leg out from under him and sit on him. (laughs) 
and say, say that again, and I'll show you what bad luck really is. He must be tremendously easy to knock over, because he does have one wheel. One foot is a wheel. So all you have to do is overbalance him, and he's away. I thought she had actually kicked his wheel off for a moment, because it's not in evidence in the panel where he goes over backwards. Could be right there. And then you see in the next panel, there's a wheel just lying there, but that's the wheel of Zorabelle's wheelchair. Yes, exactly, yes. You would think, yes, the way to um, knock Plunder over would be simply to kick his one good leg out from under him. And then, and then, zoop. Unless he's got a little emergency brake or something <laughs> built into that caster, he would go right over. We're continuing this theme from the previous chapter with Captain Plunder being nout but trouble and a big foul up. Mm. Uh, with all the trouble you've caused in the past, it'd be lucky I ain't kick you out of Scourge Bay. So you'll be taking my girls on your ship and you will get my treasure for me. <laughs> be that clear. And I'm like, they're being awfully hard on Captain Plunder. Like, okay, I think he maybe stole, like, one thing successfully in the last hundred issues. Uh But I've never really had the sense, yeah, that Captain Plunder is a big screw-up. Yeah. He just keeps running into Sonic, mate. Yeah, he sort of keeps... Yes, just in the process of being a pirate, which is inherently a bad guy... He just keeps sort of accidentally finding him on the other side of Sonic the Hedgehog. In the same way I don't think of Captain Hook as a big screw-up, just because he kept getting bits of his body chopped off by Peter Pan. Well, just the one, really, but nobody let him forget about it. More than usually, I find myself asking, what is being communicated here? What is being depicted with her having that one gigantic eyeball bulging out of her head? (laughs) Yeah. It's so, compared to the other eye, it's so big that it's not just a squinty eye and a wide eye. That's like ten times as big as it should be. Maybe it's a glass eye. Yeah, it just absolutely, utterly doesn't fit. It's for a different species altogether. It makes her feel more ancient. It's like the it's like the fates, isn't it? With the giant eye. Uh, like in the Disney version, the, the giant eye they'd pass around. Yes, yes. Once again, you betray yourself. Well, of course, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Although in, the, in that case, I did know about it before that the Disney version. But just the... I think it was. it's the moment where they pick something off the eye. It's very visceral, it's very real, and it has solidified this idea of handing an eye to one another. But yes, I do think that that's what it makes me think of, that she's so old that, I don't know, is that even hers, or is she forced to add bits to herself to even function? Sort of, I guess, <laughs> the, the idea that she is so old and withered that the rest of her withered around her eye. Yeah. You know, yeah. her eye is the same size it always was, and the rest of her go, oh. <laughs> but then it's quite like the Dr. Zachary eye, isn't it? Yes, that's what I was thinking. That's that's what gave me the glass eye notion. Mm, yeah. It is big fake, uh, but, but it's not red, so we know it's not a camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lots of action from the little bird that Captain Plunder has on his shoulder, which we've always said is maybe a robot. I don't know anymore. It's just sort of silvery. Yeah, sure, it's a little robot bird. Yeah. But it's doing a lot, this issue. It's always hopping along behind or falling over or having an expression or something. Yeah, just a little hopping along the um, ballards, the pegs on the side of the pier. Or then whenever uh, Plunder returns to his ship and sees that the spice... We nearly called them the Spice Girls. That's probably going to happen a few times. (laughs) Sees that the maidens are here. What be you doing here? And the bird's got its wings on its hips. Yes, I'm always always a fan of that. When the when the pet is doing the hands on hips and like joining in with the conversation, that's always good. Whenever Dogmatics would do that or Nasher or whoever. (laughs) And here we are on page five, which is where we discover that what's happening is that Mum is coming along. Because Captain Plunder reckons he's got away with it. He's like, there we go. Yeah, he's got one over on her. Yeah. Quick, thinking, Captain. <laughs> Zorabelle ain't so smart. You've just got to know how to handle her. And then they get to the ship, and, and uh, there's all the Spice Maidens, yeah. and there's Mum. And we realise, looks like we are going to get a heady dose 
of Nigel Kitching Mum comedy. I'm so looking Love forward it. to it. I'm so happy Zorabelle's coming on <laughs> on this adventure. Yeah. It's been years since I've been on a ship. That treasure be as good as ours. Ooh, next issue, The Hunt Begins. Nigel Kitching Mum based comedy. <laughs> and we it. lay our, our own uh, Nigel Kitching Mum with accent. Based <laughs> oh, Can you ask for anything? Chris is more? in his element. <laughs> he doesn't even need a cake. A <laughs> little bit of cake, a little bit of Sonic, a little bit of accent, a little bit of stuff from the games. <laughs> then we've got our Barrowbot Badniks pin up in the middle. Barrowbots, and it says it Barrowbot in big let that they actually think. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. They mean Burrowbot. Burrowbot is the robot from what? Sonic 2? Sonic 1, the Sonic Labyrinth one. Zone. Grounders from Sonic 2. Nah, that's right. Barrowbot was a robot that everyone quite liked until people started to speak out about its onset pranks. I shan't, I shan't rise to it, Dave. Yeah, it's a star of the West End. Barrowbot. Live and kicking. Barrowbot. The movie game. Barrowbot. <laughs> <laughs> That's f- comedy. That is. Look at him go, folks. Just yes, yes. Barrow. It sounds a bit like John Barrow, man. Do you get it? Wait oh. a minute. You're making fun of me, aren't you? I have a bad case. Of I have a bad case of diarrhea. I have a bad case. I can feel the will to live losing my body as soon as I know it draws me. <laughs> You mean leaving your body? You said losing your body it was a bit weird. There you go. I can't. I can't even <laughs> talk good sentence form anymore. Welcome to the Diary Zone. This is the part of the podcast where I take you back in time with me to the very fortnight when this came out, as we examine my teenage diary from the time. And if we recall, I have recently been enjoying myself on the internet a little bit too little much, bit as too I much. recall. Yes, phone bill came in last mm. issue. That yes, and and honestly, that's why this is a little bit of a thin on the ground diary zone. Um, I, I haven't very much to report. Um, except do you remember also what's going on is that I'm supposed to be getting on with exams. So perhaps oh gosh, I've, yes. Hmm. Perhaps I've finally started to really knuckle down and do some studying. I don't know. On Wednesday, the fourteenth of May, ninety-seven, I report that I am ill with a capital I am ill. I have the single worst cold ever in the world. Arg. Um, but of course, in those days, this didn't stop us from having to go to school or mingle mm-hmm. in the workplace or go to the cinema or things like that. Much, much the, the golden age to which we are now returning. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> so I still go in. I do my exams on Thursday the 15th, science exam. Uh, I then bugged off home and got a grand total of nothing done. I am working on an excuse for tomorrow. So I guess the reason I got nothing done is not just that I'm... Uh, off the computer, and not just that I'm studying, but that I am also very poorly working on an excuse for tomorrow, although I truly am ill. But Mobius got STC number 105 brackets or whatever, including Flicky's Island. Yes, it's very much a whatever. <laughs> it's not 105. Uh, that's what I was going to ask. Did, <laughs> did we have the dates wrong here? Is something going no, on? No, it's simply uh, episode 104 and I was just wrong because I was mostly interested in Flicky's Island. I don't even say anything about it because I'm too ill, but I'm, uh, I'm enjoying myself dribbling snot all over this. Presumably my germs yeah. still here on the, on the print Baked copy that we've got there. Yes. Um, I wonder what the... Is, is there a lifespan on that stuff? Or am I about to unleash new plagues into the flat? We shall find out if we get a cold in the next few days. Then you will know. Mm. Saturday the 17th of May. This is a, a sort of a, a personal milestone. 
which is that I got uh, wind play. Was that a consequence of the cold, was it? Did you get a little bit of windy play? Yes. Um, a program for the computer, which allows me to play CD quality stereo MP3 music. Jesus. Yes, I'm entering the new age there. Had you heard of an MP3 before this moment in time? No, this is it. This is me finding out about MP3s, and I'm about to play my first ones, and I, I more or less guarantee that I will have downloaded this in order to play They Call Me Sonic on Rat.org, which I explained what was a couple of episodes ago. Yes, I remember hearing about They had MP3s of some Sonic's tunes, so that'll be why. That'll be why I'm getting that. Right, hang on, before we move on, if, what, what is it? They Call Me Sonic? It's a niche Sonic oh, song. Oh, no. Oh, which... nothing begins good. Nothing. I, <laughs> words go bad wrong on game. Well, <laughs> losing ability. <laughs> when Dave starts talking it's, about... Well, when Dave Bulmer <laughs> says, well... It's a niche. Thing. You won't have heard of it. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm actually, I'm so, sort of surprised that you haven't heard of it. Except that I believe we may have had this conversation before. It's, um, it's a song from, I, I guess back then, which I think just came out on an album. It was a real song that it wasn't, you know, because I know you were saying Rat.org was where ah. people collated their fan works. Yes. So I wasn't sure what I was getting stealed for there. No, no, this was not yet the era of the internet where people were able to post their own music in any kind of high quality what we had to do back then was make midis so you'd go to a sonic website and it would start playing the starlight zone in midi uh, uh yeah and there'd be and a load it might of sound a little something oh, yes. <laughs> i don't know if i can track that down now <laughs> And then you would have like a little collection of midis that people had made that you could download. Uh, no, the, the, I, I remember going to transformer sites and downloading yeah. you know MIDI versions of the background music and the theme tunes yeah. and everything. Yeah. Do you remember midis, eh? Oh, I do. We didn't know we were born. So midis, midis. What that was was it was just a it was a bit of code that you could pop on a website and you your your sound card had its own built-in bunch of synthesizer voices and depending on how expensive your sound card was it would be better or worse if you had a cheap one like what i did just that came with the computer it'd be like bing bang bong it would sound like kind of a little bit like how a mega drive does when it's in its worst music mode you know echo and that bling bling bang 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 but then you could pay for things like a sound blaster or a wave something form generator <laughs> And they would sound like more expensive synthesizers. I should probably say, because I'm sure there are people listening in the audience who've never even heard of a MIDI. That's M-I-D-I. Mm. That was the audio format. Yes. Like MP3 or MPEG is a format for... Yes, but I do I know... Have I ever known what that even stands for? It'll be... I don't. Something interface, something interface, won't it? <laughs> Musical. Instruction data interface. <laughs> Interdiction vehicle. <laughs> It is Musical Instrument Digital Interface. Well, what it does is it... Jeez, wave. What you're supposed to do with it is you're supposed to, like, plug a keyboard. It was This is what it was invented for. Like, you could plug keyboards into computers. My dad, I've got a, I've got a tape of my dad using a spectrum to make music come out of a keyboard on the other side of the room. And that, you know, that was what it was for. But then, in this era, it was used for things like a game comes out for the PC... You know, like Monkey Island or whatever. And that's why, if you go on YouTube even now, you can find compilations of the Monkey Island theme.
sounding completely different on a range of different sound cards and outputs and synthesizers and things. And these aren't different recordings, these are different sound cards playing back the same code. And that's why, it's because everybody had a different one depending on what you'd paid for. So it was really weird making music in those days because you couldn't have really much of an idea what it would sound like coming out of anybody else's machine. Well anyway, and I was telling you what They Call Me Sonic is. It was a, it was like a happy hardcore ravey tune. All of this. And it's quite fun. There was that, there was King of the Ring, there was. That sounds familiar. King of the Ring. We must have been through this before. There are people screaming at their headphones right now saying, you talked about this yeah. at the one hour, five minute mark of episode number 42. Yeah. But, um... We don't obsess over up. our show like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, thank you. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this has all been not even a digression because... Along with Winplay, I also got something called Win Groove, which I describe as a cool MIDI updater. Ooh. And uh, what this actually was, was it was... <laughs> I believe it purported to be a Sound Blaster emulator. And so, if you were playing your computer games, with your beeps and your boops, and you only had that built-in jingle jangle sound like I did, you could fire this thing up beforehand, route it through, and now, everything sounds better. And to my memory, it sounded fantastic! You had these big sweeping string noises, you had reverb on there, it really was like quite impressively good. And I was composing music to be played through these things. And what that means is that it's not really replicable now. I can't, I, even if I find my old MIDI files of music that I made, it sounds nothing like it was supposed mm. to. I made a couple of MIDIs that got passed around websites back then that were like sort of early video game remix type stuff that, you know, people were doing that, but not a lot. And I did one that was a kind of chill out version of the Metropolis Zone music. <laughs>
and yeah, I guess also a chill-out version of the Ice Cap Zone music. Was it? Yeah, I think it was. And uh, these were really nice, and they had all these effects, and they had all these little record scratch noises here and there, and things like this. And you just can't replicate it now. So if anybody, if anybody listening to this can find and find out how to run a copy of Wingroove for Windows 95. Do let me know and I will send you the midis that I made so that you can record them for me. The caveat to this is that you probably have to also run Evolution Audio, the program I was using to make them. But I believe I have a copy of that, I just can't figure out how to run it. So let's work together, let's get these old songs recorded. And again, on Sunday the 18th is where it says, Learned a lot about how to use a midi program. Cool, started a Sonic and Knuckles midi. So that's me getting uh, Evolution Audio for the first time, which I used to write quite a lot of music in, and making as my first go at it uh, a version of the Sonic and Knuckles theme. Um, there is some Mobius story there. Now, I'm not going to read out today's Mobius story fully, firstly because it's a chat log, and, and, and those harm Chris psychologically. Oh, you just you just literally wrote out a chat log? Or? Yes. Um, wow! Yes, or, or remembered it anyway. I don't know how accurate it is. The other reason I'm not going to read it out is it's a chat log of 15-year-olds casually throwing around descriptions of self-harm in a way which, even though I'm convinced they're not true stories, some of our listeners might not want to be hearing. But <laughs> I think... It is today's entry, read many years later, that made me realise that our pal, Flair, a echidna, was an invention of the boy who calls himself Flash. I assume boy. Flash, Flair. Flash and Flair, when you put them together, don't they sound a little yeah. bit like Bark and Bean, mm-hmm. yeah. like rough and tumble, yeah. like a pair of Sonic characters? Um, so the short version, though, is that Flash has retired the character of Flair today, and the story he tells about why she isn't going to be with us anymore takes on three contradicting stories, uh, starting with a, a near-total obliteration of a supposed teenage girl out there somewhere in the world and uh, decreasing in severity when each one is questioned Hmm. until it basically ends up that nothing's wrong with her at all. She's just not going to be around. Also the fact that... And this is all Flash relating this. Yes. Yes, and this is the thing. As I look back on the diary, I realise the little detail that I didn't pick on at the time, which is that Flair was always supposedly Flash's cousin. And what that means is that in order for Flair to log on, Flash had to vacate the computer for her to use it because she was round his house. Got you. Um, she would only come into the chat when Flash leaves and lets her use his keyboard. It just makes the whole thing clear to me. But Dave, mm. Dave, mm-hmm. yes, yes, Chris. Dave, I know, Dave. I know. But yes, Chris, <laughs> Dave, yes. Did Omni get off with her at any point? I'm thinking probably yes. But look, you do have to remember that for a. A child exploring his first months on the internet. The ruse was slightly more airtight. Mm-hmm. I will be fully fooled in just a few Diary Zones time by a oh. by a similar ruse, and I, I I won't tell you about it. now. No judgment whatsoever, by the way. Uh-huh. Been there one hundred percent. Oh, really? Really? I didn't write it down and won't be recounting no. it on a podcast. No, but you, but you found yourself in the private room with. Uh, uh, I, um, and that'll be the end of that. <laughs> Tuesday the 20th of May made most of the first part of the Sonic and Knuckles theme on MIDI and on Wednesday the 21st I finished the Sonic and Knuckles and I call it here Midule because I'm still wanting to call my music modules from the Amiga (laughs) that's cute but it's a MIDI I thought you might just want to have called it a MI because as we all know you don't ever say the full thing (laughs) 
<laughs> you gotta do an anim, so instead of a midi, you do a mi. But I described the Sonic and Knuckles midule as uh, it rules beyond belief, so obviously we, we have to allow the listener to be the judge. I do have it here, and here is Sonic and Knuckles theme tune, my very first attempt at writing on a PC. Here you go, everybody. I don't think it's especially good, but you you might like to hear it. What's interesting, though, is, and I, I don't know if this is going to come up in the Diary Zone, and if it does, it'll be years later, but Sonic and Knuckles was also the last MIDI I ever made, because I thought I'd... You thought you'd achieved mastery of it in one move and would go out at the top of your game. Yeah, basically, yeah. I. Uh, oh, no, what I mean is, I don't mean this was the first and last MIDI I made. Oh. Well, what I mean is, this was the first MIDI I made, and then... Later, as I fa- as I felt that window of time closing on MIDI as an expression, as an art form, I thought, right, well, what have I learned over this time? How about I put my hand again to the Sonic and Knuckles theme? So there is a uh, there is a remake, which I have a recording of, and why don't I just put that on this episode as well? So at the end, I will play you that. Um, but uh, I'm very pleased with myself. Um, Evolution of an artist. Exactly. I'm very pleased with myself here on Wednesday when I finish the Sonic and Knuckles module. I say, um, it rules beyond belief. Next, I'll make the Sonic 2 ending theme, uh, Golden Eagle, which was a, a tune of my own composition that I made up on the bus home from school, and uh, the Solstice theme. Oh, I remember doing the, I remember doing the Solstice theme. That was when I went from going, oh, this is a banger, to, oh, this is very clever, because it was with the opening chord. <laughs> that I realised, no, I'm not up to recreating this in MIDI. No, I've overstepped (laughs) by a long way. Um, Knowing your limits is also part of being an artist. Exactly. Mutant League! Funny old game! (laughs) (laughs) Decap Attack! Decap Attack! Funny Old Game, written by Nigel Kitching and Richard Rayner, art by Mick McMahon, letters by Ellie DeVille. The decappers turn out to support their local team, Transylvania United, in the cup final against the Black Forest Gatto. Things aren't looking good, as the whole game is hopelessly corrupt, with the other side's sponsor refereeing the whole thing. But Head saves the day, by sneakily taking the place of the ball, and scoring the winning goal! Goal! Referee! It's actually genuinely remarkable how much the insertion of a bit of football into Decap Attack has clearly sapped. Sapped not just my, but clearly also your enthusiasm for the strip. What I'll say is this For a collection of drawings of normal football. This is admirable. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. I mean, McMahon, lovely job, all the same as as ever. Yes. What a good Roy of the Rovers artist he would have or did make ring as appropriate. 
What what if cheese had flavour, eh? That that that's Mutant League. Uh, yeah, was Slurp of Cheese in that? Oh it could have been. No, that was that was um Slice of Puke was the sponsor <laughs> yeah. of Mutant League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, it's it yes. Is that a football thing then? Is that like the, the, sponsored by a food? Is that a thing? Is that a joke everybody has to make or every time? I, I guess. Like I don't know enough about I'm sure no. there must be cups sponsored by food companies. Slurpa cheese is the food that sponsors the Black Forest Gatto. See, that made more sense to me in Mutant League because doesn't it feel and sound like an American football thing or a baseball thing or something like that? Whereas this, I don't I don't think British football, but here's the joke. So maybe that's also sponsored by weird food. I don't know. I don't know. They're sponsored by Slurpa Cheese and there's a guy going around selling it and some goes, do you need chocolate flavour left? Strawberry milkshake, one for me. What is the <laughs> difference? It all tastes the same anyhow. And Chuck goes, mm, yeah, disgusting. <laughs> um, um, it's just uh, this is difficult. It's just football. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can't it is going to be tricky for us to talk about this. There's a couple of good jokes in it, right? I like that. Head goes, "Come on, you garlics." The Transylvania That's United's right. name is the garlics. Mm-hmm. That's a little funny. The bit where Professor's counting down only two minutes left, yeah. and Head says, "No, we're gonna win. I can feel it in me bone." Yes, that's a good I wrote line. that one down. Feel it in my bone. That is good. He's only got the one. He's a skull. <laughs> oh, one other good joke was, uh, so the idea is that the referee is the head of the Slurpee Cheese Company, and they sponsor the rival team, so it's all hopelessly fixed. And the ref calls a penalty, and the, the player says, Get him on, ref, I never touched him! And the ref says, No, but I saw you pulling a rude face inside the area. That's a penalty in my book. Yeah, I like that. That's not bad. Uh, I also like the bit where the uh, one of the spectators who is, you know, he wanted the other team to win and the other, the other team haven't won. So he says, I feel sick. And Igor says, That's Slurpa cheese for you because he was earlier seen to consume some of the trademark the uh, beverage slash food stuff. Uh, I, uh, I, did, I did like that bit, actually. I'm making it sound as if I didn't. But it's difficult because I'm, I'm just surrounded by so much football and all my energy's been sapped. <laughs> But the majority of this, even though, so the so the gag is that they're losing the uh, the football, and and that would be bad because the thing about right now, the, now listeners, the thing about football, the thing about football is that sometimes if your team is the one that's not winning, then you're going to be sad, and that's a problem. And if you're the protagonist, then in the story, then you can't. Have to, so, but then, but then, if your team is winning, then you're happy. Then and so you you smile and you don't do any violence, and so um, <laughs> surprisingly light on the hooliganism jokes. This as a strip. Yes. Uh, so what they need to do is make it that they win, and so a ball is like a skull. So the skull goes and bees the ball, and he bites the man's foot. I love it how he puffs his face up to look like a ball, though. Yes, like that's a funny that's visual. Sweet, isn't it? What yeah, are you up to, funny. you twit? As he goes, yeah. As if he inflated the cheeks he doesn't have with air <laughs> yeah. to look like a ball that he can't breathe in. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. And he clamps his jaws around one of the footballer's feet, and you know he's like, "I'll bite your foot off," and you can't be a footballer unless you do what I say. And he goes over and he does the ball go in, and that's that's good because then uh, their team wins the football. Then so that's good, happy ending there. Yeah, when that that's, happens. The, that's the ending. The ending is that their team wins. Their team wins. The football. I cannot celebrate this tomfoolery. <laughs> uh, and they say the football thing as well. That's good. I thought it was all over. 
It is now. It is, it is now, which is uh, that's the thing that football says. Footballman said that. Um, and right, look, I am joking, but but you're not. The well, the problem is that there's a kernel of truth in your jippery. Huge. There's a. It's only a kernel of truth, but it is so painfully wedged between two of my teeth, and I can't get it out. <laughs> it's what it is. Is that most of this strip isn't even drawn that silly. For football, like yeah, it's just uh, it's, it's just, like Mick Maman style. It's which is just silly. Div. It's just blokes. But it is though, isn't it? This is the most just blokes I think we've ever seen in STC because the footballers, the way the footballers are funny, is that they are actually very well realised real footballers. This is more just blokes than the actual strip about a boy who played football. <laughs> yeah. Marco's yes. magic football. Yes. Even the blokes in it weren't as just blokey as these blokes. Yeah, and the whole stakes of the strip, which is about Halloween monsters, is the team of football is losing football and we would like them to win because we support the football team. Look, I'm not going to be against it for that because we have massively celebrated when the stakes of a decap attack strip were successfully getting the right seat on a train. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So, I can't. Yeah, uh, no, I you're can't. right. That's, you're that's right. not fair. No, you got me back to rights there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but though, when a, when, a, when a comic about a thing turns into like, well, what if our team didn't win the sport? That would be bad. It is not the Halloween characters who are playing football. It's some footballmen. What? Yeah, that Normal is actually ones. the weird part. Why are they not playing yes. the football? Yes. Were they worried it would be too much like Mutant League? Well, I think enough time has passed since Mutant League that that's mm. not a concern. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, why aren't they the local team? What we're, what we're describing here is a completely different strip, but, like, why are they not just playing a bit of a five-a-side kickabout at their local club that Saturday Yes. instead of going to watch the actual cup final of the local team? Yeah, it. this is a little bit Let's Play America. A quick definition of Let's Play America for new listeners or for if it wasn't this podcast I explained this on. When I was about seven, we started back at school after the summer holidays and were working up to a game of TIG or something on the playground when a boy called Thomas suggested Let's Play America and started meowing around with his arms out, nakedly attempting to rope us all into recreating every point of his exciting holiday that we hadn't been on. Cool, Thomas, I'm sure you had a good time, but we weren't there and don't know what you're on about. This is what I think back to any time I'm watching an episode of, say, Deep Space Nine, and instead of an episode about being in space or time travel or the unfolding drama of the big space war. One episode is just about them playing baseball, and there's nothing in it except actual literal baseball stuff. Clearly because some writer just didn't want to write about space, and so put the characters in his AU baseball game setting instead, and just wrote an episode of a sports show. The only episode I skipped halfway through because I cannot be doing with whoever that guy was is Let's Play America BS. I don't know about baseball, I didn't come here for baseball, and with the best will in the world, I can't meaningfully play my part in this arrangement. You, the writer of this episode of Deep Space Nine set on a normal Earth baseball pitch in the 1990s instead of Deep Space, and you, Thomas, are basically entertaining only yourself just at the moment, and I'm going to have to politely excuse myself. To be absolutely clear, this episode of Decap Attack is nowhere near as bad as that episode of Deep Space Nine, but you can see why I drew the comparison. This is a strip about watching a football game, not even playing one. It's about watching football. I'm not into this, I'm afraid. Sorry, Nigel. Sorry, Richard. But I don't like it. It's funny. I say this without the usual joking tone that I usually say it on this podcast, but yeah. they can't all be winners. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, this this might might be the 
duffest decap attack yet. <laughs> but it's got uh, a couple of good jokes in it. A couple does of have... good jokes, yeah. The artwork is fantastic. It's just that it's of football. I can feel it in me bone is a good joke. Yeah. And Mick McMahon continues to draw the strip fantastically. But because everything in it is about, oh no, the footballers... Are... It, it is Roy the Rover. Oh no, we might not win the football. Oh, it's all right. We pulled it out at the last minute and won the football. And then for some reason, the final panel is that our heroes go onto the pitch and celebrate and hold the up. And celebrate, they hold yeah. the cup up. They've they've won. Are you acknowledging that you have just cheated? <laughs> Is that what's happening here? You're holding up head in the cup. Are you acknowledging that he just cheated the way to victory? That's against the rules. I believe so. Um, I'm given to understand. Um, yeah, they aren't supposed to do. I'm telling Miss. <laughs> Well, next issue story is called You Wish, and I hope it's about, like, a genie or something. Yeah. Gotta be. Something that would feel a bit more at home in a Decapitec strip. Yeah, sorry guys, can't... Yeah, uh, yeah, what, I'm sure there are still football boys reading this, so they'll enjoy that. And some, you know, we've got to throw them a bone sometimes, haven't we? For some reason, so they get that. I would say I thought the strip was all over and it is now, but the strip mm. already made that Done joke because that. that's the football joke. The thing they say wow, football. I am genuinely sorry to the listeners. I know. We're pretty good about <laughs> faking enthusiasm sometimes, <laughs> but I can't. I can't. Yeah. It's just, what, what, if, what if funny characters did something that wasn't funny? What if they watched football? football. By Noise Zone. <laughs> Graphic Zone. I'm just perking myself up. I'm perking yeah, myself up. Dee 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 so, here are some drawings in it. The first one is by Daniel Stanley from Rubery in Birmingham. And he is Knuckles there. He's just playing the guitar. And the comment is... Knuckles played, played guitar. guitar like, fella, like, like Ziggy. Ziggy. He is a lovely, placid-looking Knuckles, he is. isn't he? It's definitely not a Ziggy uh, Knuckles. He's very, very... He's got his eyes half-closed. He's, he's More either... of a Dylan from the Magic Roundabout exactly. sort of Exactly. He's either... Exactly. He's either... Utilised some substances, or he's playing something really nice and relaxing. One of those. Nice and mellow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Tom Shaw from the Neaton in Warwickshire, on the other hand, has drawn a violent Sonic. Yeah. Oh, looks like he's got a big fang poking out of his mouth. I, I think it it's does. supposed to be a smile, but yeah, it it's just a triangular like smile, isn't it? Tooth. Mm. He's wearing a headscarf, and he's got a, a, he's got a female symbol yes. uh, p- pierced in his ear. Sonic exploring gender in this. Yeah, he's wearing. Uh, and I've just realised hmm? a closer examination, mm. given the fact that he's shaking a tambourine. Yes, and the, the caption says, "Hey, Mister Tambourine Man, I, I I think what Tom Shaw has actually drawn here is Sonic as a member of the traveling community." Ah. Yes, I believe that may be the case. Um, it, it's difficult to ascertain because, of course, musicians do also sometimes wear stripy headscarves. This is true. That uh, that female symbol earring that he's wearing. Yes. D- Tom didn't know. Well, what it could be, but this is equally unusual, is a, you know, a Satanist crucifix, an upside-down crucifix. No. Because it's slightly longer, isn't it, on that one end? Well, I guess I can't rule it out now that you've said it. What's an unusual expression of ideas Tom Shaw has given us here from... Yes. Beamed over from Nuneaton. He's 
He's, it's, it's, it's difficult to ascertain exactly what he's going with there. Much more straightforward work from James Cliff in Doncaster, South Yorkshire. Yep. James has written Sonic Boom across the top of this image with a big explosion around the boom. Mm. And it's just Sonic holding a microphone standing in front of a big speaker. Singing it into says it. Sonic Boom on it. And he's wearing, he's got piercings in his ears too. He does indeed. And he's wearing mirrored sunglasses. Yes. and they've got I, a, I really like what he's done. I love it, how he's done them. Yes. James has even attempted to replicate like the mirroring, the, mm. uh, the, the rainbowing, the oil slick style That's rainbowing right. that you see in dark sunglasses. Mm. Yes, he's put the, the customary um, double slash that you put on each sunglass lens mm-hmm. to show that it's a reflection, but he's coloured them in rainbow colours. That's really cool. Uh, there's sort of a there's sort of a slightly pissy yellow about the uh, about the gloves, gloves and yes. socks. Yes. Um, but all right, never mind. Just didn't. I'm assuming he just didn't want to make them make them white, like the paper behind it, unpainted yeah. white, like the paper. Yes. Now I do have a, a I have a critique. Uh, oh, do you know? No, no, I'll come to this critique what? later, Dave. Hello. You have a critique yes. of these children's these small art in children's. This... Ar- no, I stand by it. Well, that's a graphic zone first. I must say, I stand by my critique, but I'm going to make it in a couple of pictures time. So let's move on to the next one, which is Thomas Woodward of Briley Hill, West Midlands. Amy and Mike, because they're like their names, I guess. Unless there was somebody called Amy and Mike in the world, I don't know. And it's just Amy. She's got a microphone. So Mike, that's it, and she looks like she's jumping off the ground, maybe bouncing on a trampoline, or just maybe dancing. She could be like maybe that, just her just, feet just, just wiggly waggling. Could be. Yep. Yes. Okay, that's that. Maria Morris from Wirral in Merseyside has drawn Tails and Amy in a band together. Amy on keyboard, Tails on drums, and Sonic is <laughs> on the drums. <laughs> oh, the drums yes. have an illustration of Sonic on them. Looking very uh, Sonic-y, I must say. It is necessary to move with rapidity. Yes, it's supposed to be Sonic, I think, doing a... Oh no! I thought it was Sonic doing a spin attack, but actually it could no, no, just be that he's running along. along at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but nevertheless, he's got blue spikes all round him in a ball, so it's mm. kind of a cross between the two. Look, what I will say is Maria Morris is clearly very young and has yes. put in a tremendous amount of work yes. to draw some things that are really hard to draw here, and, yes. I, and she has done a good job for her age. The drum kit is recognisably a drum kit. The keyboard is seen at an angle, and she's, like, recognised that the keys of a keyboard are, like, white and black, and she's had a go. She's drawn a kind of a stripe of, of chessboard. She's checkerboard pattern. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. But, but still. The decorations on the curtains that have opened either side of them there? Both sides of it, there's curtains to reveal tails while Amy stands in front, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that perspective is in, is there. What's happening with tails? What's all over tails? He's got stripes all over him. Is he wearing clothes, or what's I, going on with I don't with know them? what's happening there. No. Never mind. Anyway, well done, Maria Morris. You are little. And a very sweet face on Amy, by the way. Yes, that's quite a nice little face on Amy. Yeah, it's a separate eyes version of Amy, but it suits her. It's very good. I feel we should jump down to the one below from Mm -hmm. Richard McGlashan, Ramsey, and Mm -hmm. the Isle of Man, who's drawn Sonic and Knuckles. Uh, The caption is, Sonic shares the spotlight with Knuckles. Uh, Sonic on guitar, Knuckles on vocals. Yep. As they dance among coloured spotlights. Coloured spotlights including pink, like the pink that we, as we all know, Knuckles is. Pink, pink. Knuckles is pink, and he's bright pink right there. Even uh, even Daniel Stanley's picture back at the start of the section, he's he is a pinkish yes. red. He's coloured knuckles. He's not as red as as his shoes are. It's good to know that even now, a mm. hundred issues into this comic, we are, mm. and the 
truth of the games continues to out yes that's yes i agree with that although we did hear didn't we just last issue officially that they keep the drawings for a long time and just print them later on down the road so who knows the age of some of these don't care (laughs) they're allowing the legend to propagate by printing them and finally amy sings the blues by friend of the show alison headley of roland's gill tynan weir this is the one who, whenever I see her name, I go, I recognise that name. Did exactly the same thing myself. Yeah. We don't know her. She's not been on, I don't oh, think. Oh, we don't know. Sorry. I was, no. and, I, I, and I thought I'd forgotten something again. No, no, no. No. No, she, unless I have. Sorry, Alison. She's definitely 100% been in the comic before at this point. She is the one who has not only been in the comic before, but like, I think she first appears in issue 53 or something like that. And then again and again and again ever since. She, I mean, frankly, I'm starting to think they're fishing into the giant sack of drawings Alison sent in perhaps all at once. Maybe. You never know. Unless she was down the post box every week, you know, just constantly sending things off. Done another one. Well, Jessica Padkin got a lot in. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the actual content of the drawing itself. It's Amy in a lovely skirt and top combo. A very spangly, very intricately illustrated skirt, illustrated via the art of pointillism, <laughs> of dots of all colours, and a very low-cut, dark blue, sort of purplish top. Oh, so Green it is. Necklace. I just thought that was a sort of a rough of some sort, but it's just the same colour. Yes. Yep. Uh, pierced ears and everything. And they've captioned it, Amy Sings the Blues. Nope. Because what's happened here is that nope. STC have mistaken mm-hmm. the very long cigarette... That yes. Alison Headley has placed between Amy's index and forefingers <laughs> and the curly trail of smoke drifting off from it as a ah. microphone and its coiled wire. Absolutely brilliant. Oh my f***ing god, Dave. But this brings me to my, my criticism I was going to place on uh, Tom Shaw and James Cliff's drawings, which is that when you give a sonic character, an ear piercing. You don't draw the ring with just a black pen. You make it a gold sonic ring going through their ear, which I'm very Uh. pleased to say that Alison has, of course, done because, as a friend of the show, stalwart sonic art contributor. Probably. She has a lot of experience and knows exactly what she's doing. I was able to at least confirm that one previous mention of her name in the comic was a Q-Zone question. Oh, wow. Oh, she's all over this thing. (laughs) Yes. We assume her to be an art contributor. We don't, we don't. I don't know why we can't remember. This is, this is twice this has happened now. So we're really going to try. Put, put a pin in it and remember it if she appears again. But I did and I have. Like, here she is again. It's Alison Headley. She keeps turning up yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. What did she do before? Drawings, normally. There was a, there's been... What was it a drawing of? Oh, I don't, don't know. I could remember what Leo Suarez Perringer drew. Ah, uh. Oh, well. Step it up then, Alison. You need to be a bit more memorable. Uh, but uh, no, Alison, uh, she, she's like the she's like the fifth beetle, or indeed the fifth turtle of STC. She's all over this publication. The third turtle, as it were. <laughs> the third turtle? Maybe fourth behind Abby. There's only the two of us, Dave. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, I see what you mean. No, I meant of STC itself. She's, oh, I thought you meant of she's STC She's got her TV. finger in so many page pies. She's in the Q zone. She's in the graphic zone. Nigel Kitching, Richard Nelson, Lou Stringer, Roberto Corona, Dude, Nigel it. Dobbin, and Alison Headley. Yeah. I might start. I might do a <laughs> Alison Headley jingle. Alison Headley. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Whoever she is. Yes. <laughs> 
Suicide, Part 2, written by Lou Stringer, art by Carl Flint, colors by Joan Burns, and letters by Ellie DeVille. Sonic is able to goad Tails into helping save the crashing balloon by questioning his ability, after which Tails swaggers off to the gravel pit zone <laughs> to pick a fight at a local club. <laughs> Sonic follows with Dr. Sorders, and just in time, the doc snaps Tails out of his hypnotic suggestion and returns him to normal then has to pacify the angry club patrons by hypnotizing them into peace-loving hippies. I got numerous little lols out of this. I am kind of appalled at how much I enjoyed this. Because <laughs> this is this is not what this comic should be doing right now. Uh-huh. But when you're funny, you're funny. Like Yeah, this is it. Okay, so first things first, Chris was completely on the money. Were you not, Chris? Once again, they're having trouble with writing the word Alf, yes. which just bolsters the theory that it used to be a different name. And of course, therefore, that name in some way needed editing out. This guy is based on Richard Branson. I think he used to be called Dick. Yes, Dick Bandstand, I reckon his name was. For what we see this issue is, meanwhile, up above, eccentric balloonist Bandstand panics and... <laughs> it has simply slid off the tipex, the yes. word Alf there. Presumably, yes. What what has happened is, it said Dick, they tipexed over it, they wrote Alf, and they... The scanner smudged it. ...moved oh, it before yeah. it was dry. Yeah, yeah. And it has become faded. Also, we were right on the money, noting that Sonic could have done this all on his own by creating a Sonic <laughs> cyclone, cyclone to slow the descent of the balloon, <laughs> which is exactly what he does after Tails catches Mr. Bandstand when he falls out of the balloon. Yes. Well, if he hadn't fallen out of the balloon, you know, Tails wouldn't need it to be there and Sonic could have taken care of that on his own, as we pointed out last issue. Yes. Uh, I did get a laugh out of when uh, Alf Bandstand falls out of the balloon basket and starts falling to the ground and the woodpecker is riding with him and goes, oh, what's the rush? We're going to hit the ground soon enough anyway. <laughs> yeah, and Tails is convinced to help by the standard story manoeuvre one employs in these situations where Sonic yes. says, well, I guess I'll have to save the day if you're not up to it. And he's like, hey, Hedgehog, you saying I'm not brave enough? I'll be that. That worked. I disagree with the way the story resolves because I think they should keep Tails like this forever. <laughs> Here is Ta this is Tails now. He's just this cocky little Tails. He's got sunglasses and a backward baseball cap, and they should apply the change between episodes of Flicky's Island, and we should just be left to try and figure out how that works. And um, that's what they should do. Then the Doc rocks up, riding a penny <laughs> farthing for some reason. Yeah. Why? I don't, don't know. know it's just funny. It's nah. got a learner's plate Learn oh, off yeah. the back of it and a little paper tag just flapping in the breeze behind it. Why? <laughs> don't know. It's just funny. Yeah. That's got to be, you know, that's a Carl Flint move. I, I doubt Lou Stringer wrote The Doctor Rides Up on a Penny Farthing. That feels <laughs> like Carl Flint just decided, what would be the funniest thing to draw? What would be more interesting for me to do, yeah. Yeah. It's very uh, Tom Patterson-y. Yeah. And uh, along comes, just wandering about, uh, comes the, the woodpecker and makes me wonder why he needed rescuing from the balloon. He's a bird, after all. He's a bird. But, uh, I don't know, we, we got... haven't, we're not really sure if birds can fly or not. Well, he's got wings, and you know what they're like? They're like a bird's wing. <laughs> like a bird's wings. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor explains that she's hypnotized Tails, and that's how Sonic learns about it. Then Amy comes running up to tell them that Tails is flying towards the tough tea club in the <laughs> gravel pit zone. I love this! This is hilarious. I love this is brilliant. <laughs> it is a biker bar <laughs> crossed with a saloon. Tails pushes yeah. open two big swinging saloon doors. Crossed with just a like, sort of 
rough pub. Yeah, or rough, rough pub, yeah. You've got a full-on leather daddy bulldog. Yep, he's there. you got... That guy looks like he's a construction worker. Yeah, Plaid shirt and a hard hat. Big builder guy with his biceps out, yeah. Looking really cross, red-rimmed eyes, everything. There's a... These are all bulldogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a sailor, and it's... It's a club. It serves tea, Dave. That's it's the joke. So it's the tough tea club. Funny. The outside it's of it the- is just like a, a rundown pub in a kind of a neglected working class neighbourhood. Broken streetlight overhead. Yep. And you get in there he, when Tails swings those saloon doors open and everyone like turns around to glare at him, and you can see that they're all sipping tea. They're all these big hard men sipping tea out of their little teacups. With their little finger out. To a man, the little finger (laughs) extended. And behind the bar, they have got tea on tap. And the taps are teapots. Big teapots on swivels that you just tilt the tea in. And there's a little bowl of sugar on there. There's a little, he's got the little tray that like catches the dribble out of the tap, but it's coming out of the nozzle of a a teapot. Oh my God. And these guys are not. Sugar lumps. Like there's a different version of this joke. Yeah. Where all the bar's patrons are like tea drinking gentlemen yeah. who are unpleasant gentlemen and really hard and whatever. No, these yeah. are all like the hardest bastards yeah. <laughs> who are just drinking tea. There's, you know, and, you know, Tails gives this, gives this leather daddy bulldog a shove and he goes, You just spilled my old grey. <laughs> yes, confirming that this is not, maybe not, Lou, we shouldn't have like a hard liquor bar in this. No, no. <laughs> This was always the joke. This, this is, is the joke. joke. There's no reason for this to be the joke. It's got nothing to do with the story. We've taken a completely different turn. We're just in this joke now. And it's brilliant. <laughs> and it's a great joke. Isn't it Cosgrove Hawley? Isn't it? Can't you see Duckula showing up in this joke? Oh, God, yeah. Like showing up to a, a tough tea drinking bar. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But Tails be threatening them and everything. And they're about <laughs> to kick off a fight. But then Dr. Sorters just snaps her fingers. and Ooh, ah. Where am I? <laughs> Suspect I've been acting a bit out of order, haven't I? <laughs> Sonic's like, no harm done, let's go. <laughs> and then, no, the, I would say the one thing that takes away from this is Lou yeah. recycles a joke that we spent a lot of time talking about previously. Yeah. Where the leather daddy bulldog gets up in Sonic's <laughs> face. Sonic's like, let, let us go. No harm's been done. Let us pass. And the dad gets up and he gets in his face and he goes, Oi! Hedgehog! No! And he goes on. Yes, he does. I respect your super speed, agility, and heroic deeds, but if you and your twin tail pat, they kind of trails off there, yeah, just becomes yeah. normal dialogue. But yeah, we get it. It's it does it does the angry Frank bit of yeah. uh, I respect X, Y, and Z, yeah, about yeah, you. Yeah. but if you try to peek you in R, then it you and he just stops by going. Then he can forget it instead yeah, of doing then, it. Yeah, sort of gives rip. up halfway through. It doesn't carry <laughs> the angry Frank thing onto the end. And the fight breaks out, and uh, Dr. Sword is maybe my methods can get us out of this in one piece. And we cut to, no more hypnotherapy for me. And Amy's like, you're good enough just as you are, Tails. And so I'm like, even if you are boring at times. Oh. Mind you, hypnosis can be useful for some. And we see the bar brawlers being hypnotised. And they are turning into... Hippies! Imagine if Captain Plunder's gang ever got near the Chaos Emeralds, that's what they're turning into. exactly what it was. (laughs) Barefoot, flowers, beads... Feathered headdresses. Proper, proper, like, bought them at the festival hats. Yeah. <laughs> Big floppy novelty hats. Next issue, it says Short mm. Fuse is back, but I think they've got yeah. that wrong. Oh, okay. What, uh, why do you think that? Well, it's an Amy and Techno team up next issue. Oh, I see. 
Well, maybe Short Fuse is in it. Maybe they meet him. Maybe the latter's page will tell us otherwise in just a moment. <laughs> but no, yeah, uh, this was tremendous fun, actually. Yes, I love like, it. we're talking about how slight it was last issue, how uh, maybe it didn't need to be more than five pages. Yeah. It felt like an outdated story concept and all. Wow, did the second half not really justify it with the wanton silliness of it? You know, I really don't mind a wantonly silly story in the back whenever we got the good stuff up front, yeah. you know? Yes, that helps, doesn't it? It's yes, like it's not the... like whenever the issue is wall-to-wall. So, I mean, it's still been a pretty silly issue. Like, Captain Plunder's <laughs> a silly story. Oh, and, that's and, fine. And that's different. Like silly, but it's a different brand of silliness. Yeah. You know, when I got my good, proper, serious Sonic story up front, I'm okay yeah. with a funny Sonic story in the back. Yeah. Where are they now? Callum Hay from Kill Winning in Scotland writes in to ask, I've been wondering just what happened to Techno Short Fuse and the secret laboratory following the electromagnetic pulse effect. What's the situation? And Megadroid says, Well, following Dr. Robotnik's defeat, Callum, the Freedom Fighters don't have to hide out in the lab anymore. However, Techno still uses the workshop to build her gadgets, catch her in STC-105, and find out what Short Fuse is up to in STC-105. Six. Oh, well, eh? So there we go. It's nice to know he's coming, mother. Yes. Hostile hostess, dear SDC, I am holding... Oh, it's a jokey one. I am holding Sonic captive <laughs> in a top-secret location with a new oh super trooper on guard. <laughs> it is pointless trying to save him. Oh, no. However, I have decided to let you know that I am prepared to release him if you give me a Sonic 2 Crucial Cup. I feel like there should be square brackets around that part of the letter, because they definitely didn't ask for a Sonic 2 Crucial Cup. They wanted some hog tags. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to care about a special cup, they, are they? They swapped in the prize. Yep, agreed a thousand million percent. Um, if I don't receive one soon, you can say bye-bye to your precious hedgehog. Ha ha ha. The mystery villain, care of, Claire Fetcher, North Cheam, Surrey, Sonic 3, Crucial Cup, winner. Sonic 3, Crucial Cup, is it? Oh! oh Sonic oh, 2, it? I think you'll find. Actually, they all say Sonic 3, Crucial Cup on the uh, letters. Oh! That's... Oh! Screwed that up. Well, unless there is another cup we haven't seen. I, w I wouldn't mind the it's Sonic not. 3 Cup. It's not. Obviously <laughs> it's not. They just got it wrong. P.S. Don't blame Claire for this. I'm holding her captive as well. Mm, and Megadroid replies, I've got news for you, MV, the mystery villain. Your hedgehog is obviously an imposter. Ha ha ha. Because Sonic's not tied up there. Sonic's busy in the comic. I guess. Yeah, but I do appreciate that uh, they are ripping the living piss out of Claire uh, Fletcher here by perfectly replicating the ha 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 that she wrote. Yes. Which was uh, all as one word, but with all of the H's capitalised. The camel kiss ha ha's. Yes. Grilling Grimer. Dear Megadroid, I'm probably not the first person to notice that Grimer sometimes has a pack on his back. But what I would like to know is... If the pack is to help him breathe, or does it have another use? And that question, that very astute question, mm -hmm. sent in by Jonathan Smith of Kidderminster. Via email. Mm, the miracle of email. And Megadroid flippantly replies, Or is it there, Jonathan? Because Richard Elson drew it. Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan. Why don't you go fuck yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I always thought the pack was one of the most interesting things about Grimer's design. It was very Dr. Kilimoffy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, We've talked yeah. about Dr. Kilimoff and the Toxic yes. Avengers on this show enough point. But that was the immediate yeah connection I drew back in the day. I want to know if there is an answer to that question. And <laughs> I'm glad this child wrote in. And it's annoying that they didn't tease an answer yeah. out of anybody. I bet Jonathan Smith would like to know too. Yeah. I really enjoy the bit of fan art that we have uh, printed down here by Stuart Oldfield of Otley, West Yorkshire. 
Mega Drive and Master System owner. Sonic 3 Crucial Cup winner, allegedly. And it's... I love this. Let me count the ways. So it's Tails, but he's all muscly. And he's got a muscle top on. And he's holding uh, a weight in one hand. And he's got tattoos. And he's going, Hey, Amy! I'm really cool now! (laughs) It's interesting you see tattoos where I see bulging veins. Oh, it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. could be. And Amy sort of <laughs> comes zooming in and screeching to a halt just to give him a side eye. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure. I'm wondering if it's been cropped or something because of those zoom lines. Is oh, you some, think Sonic's over could there? So, could Sonic be yeah, running yeah, yeah, off yeah. panel? Or, yeah, it does. It is kind of like a Amy's a Bugs yeah. Bunny, like Looney Tunes yeah. style. Hello, attractive person. Yes. Filling up besides. But she's just giving but she him look a happy about massive it. side eye. Yeah, she doesn't look pleased at all. No, in fact, she seems to be pulling a gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a crossbow, but yeah. And listen, we've been missing something all the way across this episode that I feel like now we're at the end, let's point it out. Amy in her normal clothes, tartan skirt, white jumper with a heart on it. But if we look just on the previous page in Sonic's world, she's wearing a jumper with a female symbol on it. Yeah. And right back at the start in the opening strip, she's got another thing again, a symbol I don't recognise, which is like, a like kind an of an eye. eye. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're changing up Amy's um, fashion. It's just this. I, I like the idea that, yeah, she just has an identical library of white T-shirts that just have a differently <laughs> different shaped symbol. red symbol on the front of each of them. <laughs> I wonder how long that goes on for. Because obviously Amy's outfit starts changing pretty regularly as uh, the further on we go. But this has been her regular look for so long now. I mean, there's probably mm. been instances of the symbol being something different in the past that we haven't probably yeah. up. But, you know. It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. It's your letters. Here's one that is simply titled, Thank You for the Podcast. And it goes like this. I started to listen in October of 2021, and I never knew about STC, as I am an American. And young. And was born in 2011. Wait a minute. That was the other day. That's... Oh, that's your your eleven. Come in twelve if you haven't if oh, you haven't okay. turned twelve already. You be coming twelve. Oh my word! What a little tiny weeny! Goodness gracious! Oh, hello, hello! Thank you for listening. Well, yes, welcome to the fold. Sorry for all the swears. Yeah, sorry to your parent or guardian for all the swears and uh, and just the general attitude. Are you enjoying the comic? Well, we'll find out. Um, I was born in twenty eleven, so until I discovered your podcast, oh, on Retronauts, I never knew about STC. Oh. Those are really swearsy. Those aren't censored or anything. Then I retract my apology. Yeah, we censor ours, so like we're so we're being very responsible. I never knew about STC, but I did discover the IDW and Archie comics in 2018, and I hated them because <laughs> <laughs> they had nothing to do with the games. Oh, we well, must mean uh, Archie there because obviously the yes. IDW ones have. IDW ones are quite close to the modern games. Not uh, quite. Uh, they yeah. are. They're just set yeah, in the on, world yeah. of the games as it's well, the world of the games as depicted in Sonic Forces. Uh, sure. And the art was terrible. Well, again, the IDW art is great, so it must be Archie. Uh, I discovered Sonic in 2016. But when I discovered your podcast, I rejoiced as I never knew such good Sonic comics existed. Oh, have you been reading them is the question. Thank you for the podcast. Knuckles is pink. My friends disagree. (laughs) Oh, what do they know? One, two, three, and Knuckles and CD are the best. Yes. Yes. Correct again. kids are all right (laughs) well one of them is their friends disagree and thanks again for the best podcast ever from elijah gapper who wishes 
they had a Mega Drive. Oh, thank well, you very on. much, Elijah. Yeah. I've got one here that's almost a rebuttal to that. <laughs> okay. A, a fun coincidence, this. This is a uh, review left for us on iTunes, and it's titled, <laughs> A Super Fun Listen, Even for Filthy Artists. Oh, I thought it was going to be a rebuttal to the parts where it said it's a good podcast. <laughs> it all will become clear. Okay. <laughs> As one of the dirtiest artists to ever file the face of the earth, I find that even my cold, dead heart is lifted by the pure and true enthusiasm of these gents as they recount in loving detail the contents of the alternate exploits of Sonic and friends from across the pond. Forget your miseries and misbegotten memories of Sat-A-M and other such noxious nonsense as Chris and Dave whisk you back to their childhoods where a simple pound coin or slightly more bought you the sharpest and speediest comic adventures to ever grace the news agent stands oh that's from tracy yardley <laughs> archie and idw <laughs> sonic comic artist <laughs> proving that tracy it must rules. truly be true <laughs> thanks very much tracy <laughs> oh tracy thanks very much <laughs> set those two next that. to each other and let them fight eh <laughs> And on that clash of ideologies, I think we'll draw a line under this week's episode. <laughs> next issue, Monster Maps. The next issue page, oh. it's Zorabel holding up the treasure map that she mentioned in this issue, cropped lovingly from the art from next issue's Captain Plunder strip. Monster Captain Maps. Plunder Spice Maidens, Monster Maps. Here be monsters. They're going to the... There's two islands on the map. There's Elson's Island. Hey, hey, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Mm, 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 mm. Mm, 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 uh, there might be something else written on there, but it's hard to see because the logo's over it. But it yeah. looks like they're headed for Skull Island. Oh. And you got to get past monsters to get there. So it looks like this is going to be a proper sea monstery piratical adventure. Yeah. <laughs> Plus new complete stories, Amy and Techno, Deception. Decap Attack, The Wish. Plus Sonic Flicky's Island continues. And Caterkiller Badnik Pinup. That's STC 105 on sale Wednesday the 28th of May 1997, 1.25. You'll be there, we'll be there, we shall enjoy that together. Where will you be? You will be wherever good podcasts can be downloaded. But the, if you want to get it faster than anyone else, mm. faster than Sonic himself, yeah. you want to go to our website. That was, Certainly. That was a bit much, wasn't it? You want to go to our website at stctp.zone. Certainly if you want to get it faster than some of the people who have recently been complaining that their pod scooping apps and devices haven't been finding it very quickly. Taking their sweet time. Yes, I mean, it, always, it comes in by the end of the day, usually, but if you want to get it straight away, that is where. Also, you can follow the podcast on Twitter, where we link directly to that. That is at Sonic Podcast. We're both on there separately as well. I'm at Demon Tomato Dave. I am at Chris McFeely, and we're both on YouTube under those names as well. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash stctp, where a donation of any amount will get you access to our far-ranging bonus bank of videos where we look at the Martin Adams novels and Dave's dreadful fanfiction that you've been hearing so much about mm. in yes. Diary Zone since we entered this new century of Sonic. We know you've been getting curious because that we've been mentioning this on the Diary Zone. Why not simply go and listen to what actually happens in that fanfic over on our Patreon. Doesn't matter how much you put in, you're going to get those videos and audios if you prefer. They're all uh, preserved as videos and audios, but now this year they originally 
watching it, they go out live yeah. twice a month. And you can watch live and chat along with us, throw your comments at us live, and then be preserved as part of Patreon history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really one for the annals of history. I'm sure they're all marking their calendars and writing it all down. That's a funny way of pronouncing that word. <laughs> um, I'm implying his fanfic is a load of like old a bum. bum. <laughs> Our theme song was <laughs> Synchronize by Sonic the Comic The Band, whose work you can find at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But we have been Sonic the Comic The Podcast, and we'll see you next, next time. time.